1: Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's football and random things from the Carl Chevrolet Studios in Ankeny. You're looking to buy a new or pre-owned vehicle at this holiday season. Carl Chevrolet in Ankeny. And Stewart is the premier place in central Iowa to get that done. Maybe you want to put one of those nice bows on the on a car for your significant other. And we all know that a peloton is not the peloton is not the way to go. So a brand new car from Carl Chevrolet sounds like the best option. I
0: think one of my favorite ads that they've done is um, Ryan Reynolds Gin Company. Have you seen this one? No. So Ryan Reynolds Gin Company got the actress that played the peloton lady, and within thirty six hours they had from like the whole thing blowing up. It's you have to watch this. It's hysterical after watching the Peloton one back to back uh, because it just starts with a, a slow pan in to her face and she downs a martini and her friend, then it pans to her friends next to her. And she just has this like dead eye look of like, what is happening? And then like her friend goes like to new beginnings. And then you see her hands. There's no rings on either hand. And she, her friend like swaps out another gin and then like throws it back. And she's like, this gin is really smooth. And her friend's like, it'll get better, Susan, it'll get better. And so they just, it was the most perfect stab at Peloton. It's hysterical, but uh, yeah, Carl
1: Chevrolet would be a much better option. Yeah. Carl Chevrolet would be a much better option than a Peloton. (laughs) Oh, well, it's uh, squarely starting squarely in the random things today here you know on I've, football and random things. You know, another commercial that like, we, we, it not necessarily weirds me out, but like the context
0: with which this happens, it's the, it's the, the GMC commercial where it's like, a, I got you something. Oh, I, I got you something. And like, they go outside and there's two like brand new vehicles that with bows on them. And he's expecting that he gets the truck and she says, I love it to the truck. And yeah. he goes like, all right, I'll, I'll take this one, which they're both fine vehicles. But brand new together, that's probably a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, this is like there's some really problematic things to to answer about these car commercials. And so, in that, the wife gets him two watches, which let's say they're five hundred dollars a piece. It's a thousand dollars in spending, which is fine. I mean, maybe these people are billionaires, but <laughs> it's a hundred thousand dollars. And if you misread your wife so poorly that the thing that you got her, she doesn't want it all yeah. because it, you intended the SUV yeah. and you bought the truck for yourself. If you missed so badly that you spent $60,000 in the wrong direction to buy this, you know, this nice GMC vehicle, this brand new GMC, where are your finances at? Well, like, like, like if you're going to spend 60 grand on a total shot in the dark, yeah. Like, I mean, if you're going to buy a new vehicle and I've not surprised someone else with being like, Oh, I got you a new car. But like, that seems like something you would pick up hints for where, you know, you're driving at the mall and she looks out the window and goes, wow, that truck's really, I love that Silverado or I love that, you know, whatever point to another vehicle yeah, and has like, Oh, I, I like this. And then you pick up on those hints and maybe you just miss those entirely, but you're going to, again, you're going to, you're going to gamble away $60,000 and something she doesn't even want. How bad of a gift giver is that guy? And also they got to be broke.
1: Like, well, and how big of a, how big of a risk are you taking by taking on a car payment and like a loan? If you're going to the bank and getting a note for a car for two without telling yeah, for two cars, for two without cars. telling your significant other, you're,
0: you're, yeah, you're taking, you're going to, I mean, again, maybe you can buy it on cash. Maybe they're billionaires, millionaires, whatever. And you can just buy a hundred thousand dollars and you just foot that bill right away. Yeah. The house they have, the set it in is, is pretty nice. I don't know what they do, but, uh, it seems they like, they don't
1: go that deep character development. In no, the, in the but
0: commercial. It, it, it seems like you are stretching yourself financially on a shot in the dark. Like if you're going to, again, you, you better know. And like, if you're going to give a car as a gift, you'd be like, man, I've listened to her say, I love that. you know, I love that new Chevy Silverado. That awesome. Then I know that you love the Chevy Silverado and I can just be like, all right, you've mentioned it.
1: Here you go. So just a word for advice, word of advice to all the folks out there that are considering buying a new vehicle for their significant other during the holiday season. Listen to the cues or either listen to the cues or maybe consider going to Carl Chevrolet together to do it and not just doing it blindly buying this car, thinking that someone will like it. Cause what if they don't like it yeah, and it loses its, its value off yeah. the lot and you got to try and trade that in. Yeah. Then, then you're done. Like then you are just, you're the biggest idiot of the, of the holiday season. And now you're
0: out, you know, $7,000 and just in residual value lost right off the lot. It just seems like a poor decision.
1: I would say it plays Notre Dame in a bowl game in, uh, in, in four or what, 12 days? We can. 13 days? Just under two weeks, yeah. Today's, uh, today's Monday. 13 days, yeah. I'll be, uh, I'll be on a flight to Orlando, Florida, exactly one week from right now. We only have, um, only have one more fart. Yeah. Maybe two. We might yeah. fart twice. Well, yeah, we're, we're trying to figure out what our plan is for, While we're in Orlando. Well, and I'm going
0: to, I will likely have uh, enough time and kind of carved out to go to the press conference. We might do one right after the press conference on the 27th. Yeah. Um, And that'll probably be the meatiest of stuff that we've talked about or kind of getting hints on where we think everything's going to go. Before then, it's kind of just, you know, previewing the experience and stuff like that.
1: And we'll like basically be 24 hours before the game at that point. So that will be like a final. And we'll know. It'll basically be like what we do on the radio show leading up to the game.
0: Yep. And it'll be, um, I don't know if there's any rumors of anybody sitting for Notre Dame or if anybody's going to be held out for either team that says, you know, maybe somebody's got a, a dinged up shoulder or somebody's got a dinged up ankle and they say, hey, we're not going to play them for either team. And we can kind of, we should have an idea by then of who's playing, who's not, what the strategy is going to be.
1: Yeah. And I will have been at practice and all that kind of stuff there in the, the days leading up to that. So we'll have a, we'll have a much better idea of those kinds of things once we get down to Orlando. But We'll uh, we'll figure out something to talk about today still. Yeah. And we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back. Football and Random Things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Welcome back to Football and Random Things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. So like we said during the first segment, we we will talk a lot more about Iowa State and Notre Dame next week when we are down in Orlando. Really dive deep into that matchup. I know that Chris and I are going to do a podcast on Friday as well. Where we will really go heavy on the football stuff this is just kind of a preview before I take off for Florida. Uh, so today we're going to talk about the All Decade Team, the All Decade Football Team that we put together uh, last week on Cyclone Fanatic.
0: There were some of these were more fun and easier to do than others. Yeah, because there were certain positions like this is kind of a surprise. Running back very thin.
1: Running back was like, really hard
0: because it's like it's Dave Montgomery and then everybody else.
1: Yeah, it's Dave Montgomery and then there's a bunch of guys who had who were some like blip on the radar one good years. Yep. And then uh, like they would not really do anything else for the rest of their career. Mhm. And or like Alexander Robinson, who didn't play most of his career in the 2010s. Yeah, if A-Rob would have
0: played in 10-11 instead of 9-10 as far as his like really successful seasons, yeah. it would have been a no-brainer that yeah. Montgomery and A-Rob would have been there.
1: And even his 2010 season was not his best season. It's because he
0: was injured. Yeah. I mean, I think his shoulder and his hamstring were both hurt at some point during the year. And so like he just didn't have yeah enough time in the decade. But I think he was very clearly the next best running back yeah. in the bunch, but he just didn't have enough like didn't have enough statistics over the course or not statistics production over the course of the decade to
1: get that. I think I honestly think that if you were going to pick who I think of the decade was the second most, like if you had put their entire career in the decade and projected it out or whatever, Brees would have been number two. I think so too. I mean, yeah. I, I think that his, the way his season he, he had this year, he I think he almost could have gotten some votes just on this one season.
0: Even if you were to put – well, that would be a little bit of a stretch because Mike Warren's freshman year yeah. was really, really good. And Mike did get some votes too. Um, but if you were to take – I think, I mean, even if you extrapolate a little bit into his next year, like if 2020 – if he played 18-19 instead of 19-20 and he has any measure of success in next year, which I think we will. I, I also – I would say um, – The sophomore slump is real, especially with positions like running back where you have tendencies and you have what people like and you know how to to pin someone in. If Breeze Hall goes for like twelve hundred yards next year, it's an absolute welcome surprise. Let's not expect him to be like two hundred yards a game like when like this year came out of nowhere I mean by the time the season ended people were like okay we need to watch out for 28 he's really good
1: he's a consensus second team all big 12 player
0: right so he's really good by the time the season ended but it was still there wasn't a ton of film on him on like what he does or what he likes to do or where he you know can you put someone on him is he a person to take away um and then next year now that they have teams have an entire offseason and I think most people are going to have a decent idea who comes into this next season for Iowa State like there's probably this offense is probably not going to sneak up on anybody because they know that Purdy's back. They know that Brace Hall's back. They know all the th- offensive threats, all the tight ends. Um, Shaw and Pet, or excuse me, Shaw and uh, Milton, mm-hmm. those guys are back. We know that they are going to do that. So I think this next year, it'll be a lot more of a prove-it year. Like, okay, this is what he's going to do. But yeah, running back in totality, I went with James White because he was really the only guy that I could think of that had, I mean, I don't think he had a thousand-yard season, um, but he had like a couple 800-yard seasons. Um Just and also kind of biased, just because he's my boy. But uh, over the course, a lot of times in any of the voting, whether it was basketball or whether it was football, I tried to total up the entirety of their career Mm -hmm. rather than just being like, okay, you had one really good season. Because I I honestly think, outside of Montgomery's two, um, I think Mike Warren had the best single single season in the decade. In the decade, Yeah. yeah. Outside of again, David Montgomery's two seasons in 17 and 18.
1: Yeah, and there there probably is some level of like recency bias there. Uh, just in the sense that his end of the year was not very, his end of his career was not very good. Uh, also some breaking news. Charlie Kohler just named a third team All-American by the Associated Press. So, Congratulations, Charlie. Charlie just continuing to rack up the honors. And this goes, uh, last week I tweeted out a, a drawing, uh, whether or not your All-American team is good. And it's there was just like lines. It says, is, it, is, your, is Charlie Kohler on your All-American team? Yes, then your All-American team is good. <laughs> no, then your All-American team is not good. So that means that the Associated Press has a good All-American team.
0: Congratulations, Associated Press. Your team would beat the other teams.
1: There we go. Uh, the, I think the easiest one out of every position was Brock Purdy. I think so, to too. To be the, the,
0: the starting quarterback. The quarterback was the easiest one. Yeah. And I, I think that also comes with... A marked level of inconsistency. It was incredible amount of inconsistency. It
1: was remarkable. The number of people that tweeted at us, commented on Facebook or Instagram, and said that Steel Jance should have been the quarterback. Steel played for half a season. Yeah. Yeah. I think people forget that almost. Like, maybe the people that don't really pay that much attention. And the thing with Steel, and I pl- all.
0: Steel got there after I got there and left before I left because he was a Juco transfer. Um, Steel was he's one of the most enigmatic humans I've ever experienced in my life. I mean, there's a reason that he literally is like dropped off the face of the earth. I think he's working for his parents' towing company yeah, in Northern California.
1: That's about his, I mean, Rob Gray has been on this trail for a very long time. I think that's it. I think he's, and, and yeah. th- there was one time
0: I, I don't remember what year it was, but like I got a Facebook message from Steele that was like, Hey man, I hope you're doing well. I heard something, something, something. And I responded immediately no response. It was literally like one out of the blue response one out of the blue text from steel free uh, of Facebook messenger. And then like, that's it. Like <clears throat> there is nothing else. Um, it was, it's amazing. But like he is, he is the most enigmatic human. And that is also reflected in how he played yeah. where like it was, it was so much fun when he was at his best to just watch him do stuff Yeah. because he could do stuff that nobody else could do. He has, he was, he probably, I think not, between him and Arnaud, Arnaud just didn't throw the prettiest ball, but Steele would throw a tight, just a zip spiral, and um, he had a cannon. And Arnaud had a, had a cannon, but sometimes he would get moving too fast. They wouldn't like, like if they both threw their best, that's probably about it. But I mean, Steele had the best arm I've ever played with, I've ever seen in person. Um, but he also would do dumb stuff, like really dumb like, I don't think people remember the Texas Tech game in 2011 when he had three unforced fumbles, one of which was just booting out to the right side of the field.
2: Yeah. Like, I think we were coming he Just ba- dropped the ball.
0: I think we were coming back. Um, it was maybe, I don't know what the exact score was. We were down maybe seven or six or seven and we were mounting a comeback and we were doing pretty well and Steele just bubbles out, you know, does the patented, like running around, just doing whatever he's going to do. And all of a sudden he just runs, just the ball falls out of his hand. And I'm like how shouldn't have had that popcorn how how does that even happen and then like in the same game like i remember um the yukon game in that same season because oh, yeah. in 2011 three of his first four pass attempts were interceptions
1: but then he didn't he ball out in the second half yeah,
0: and, yeah. Him and him and money reynolds i think money caught two touchdowns in the back half of that game yeah. and like just tore yukon apart at like local time like or it was at, the, at like UConn time. It was like 11.45 at night when that game finally got over because it kicked off at 8 Eastern. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he just tore everybody apart. And I remember money jumped over somebody at the end of that game. Wasn't that a Friday night?
2: No, it was okay. a Saturday. Okay. Okay.
0: Uh, I'm pretty sure it was a Saturday. That was when Cy broke his arm. Um, oh, yeah. Because he got pushed out of the stands. Yeah. But yeah, like Steele, he had so many high moments, but he had so many low moments. And it was like there's a reason why Jared Barnett took over by the end of that season just because – Steel was so inconsistent. Jared wasn't as great on the great side. Yeah. Even though that Oklahoma State game, he threw, he had like 400 yards of total offense. Like, the, he was Jared wasn't going to give you as high of a high, but he was definitely not going to give you as low of a low. Yeah. Um. So if anybody, I don't, I don't know, I feel like the person who in the the 2010s, the only other person that I would even like, not necessarily the only other person, the the pecking order of people, is.
1: Probably, like, I would think, honestly, Sam Richardson. I was going to say, Sam was the only other one that I thought of. And the thing I will say about Sam, I think that Sam was hurt by a lot of other factors that went into play during his career. Yeah. One, that offensive line was really horrible. Yes, it was. It was really, really, really bad. And uh, he got to the point where I think he was prepared to get hit on every play. Yeah, and I, that really impacted his his play. And I... I I don't
0: use this term without understanding this the sincerity of it. like b- battered wife syndrome is, you know, it's one of those things where if someone raises their hand too quickly and a woman who has been abused will flinch. Yeah. It's a, that's a horrible thing to exist. So I'm not making light of that
1: battered quarterback, but syndrome. battered
0: quarterback syndrome is what Sam would operate as. So like yeah. the instant that there would be anything that goes on, he would have to look down. He would look away from the, the coverage or what he was looking at. He'd have to look down and protect himself because he got hit so many times. Mm-hmm. Like, I honestly think if you were to put Sam with Tom Manning, he's not going to do the Brock Purdy things, but he's going to be pretty darn good. Yeah, Uh, he would. He was really good in the games when he
1: would play well. I mean, when he was comfortable, when he didn't feel like he was getting hit in the spine 30 times. Well, think like that, that game against Texas in 2013. I mean, he was really good. For the majority of that game. Well, the game that comes to mind is the one in Kansas.
0: I mean, it yeah. was we were. It was. I mean, they they were bad. His first game. Yeah. But his first game came in. I think we won like forty-eight to six or something like that. Yeah. And I think Sam had like three incompletions or three or four incompletions and like five or four touchdowns. Right. Something like that. Some absurd statistic. And that's what Sam could have been if he was in an offense that protected him, and he he did not get protected. So no. like, I feel like Sam. And I would even say Jared, like a lot of the guys were just victims of circumstance where like they were just not handled properly. Like Sam, I would think Rohach to a little bit lesser of an extent. I think Sam was more physically talented than Grant was. But both those guys are really similar players, really efficient, good enough arms that are going to get the job done um, Throw a
1: really tight ball. Good decision makers, but just got hit way too many times. Sam played in the in the offense that threw the ball sideways more than any other team I think I've seen in. The history of college football. Just trying to get something. Yeah, trying to get something done. They would just throw the ball sideways all of the time, and it would ne- and it would very, very rarely ever work. And that's why he's like got the completion records and stuff like that. It was it just just like- because they'd like throw seventy-one passes
0: a year to Jarvis West at negative one yards per reception. Right. Yeah. That w- that was a very that was a very bleak time <laughs> for Iowa State. But I mean, props to Sam. Again, I, I, he is Sam is one of the. Better players, they just kind of got, again,
1: shafted by circumstance. Yeah. All right. We talked about the running backs. Uh, uh, w- wide receiver was another one that was pretty easy because you had the two. The two were really easy. The third was pretty easy, but I had so many. There were so many different. So many honorable scenarios.
0: mentions for the third one. I was
1: saying this was another one where there was a lot of people that were, sub- that, that they threw different names out there. Uh, I still, I know that Josh Lenz was very good. I know Jarvis was really good. Money. Uh, I know Darius Money Reynolds was really good, but I have a hard time. I would have a hard time not putting the guy who's going to finish second all-time in career receptions at Iowa State, top five in career receiving yards and top 10 career touchdowns in that top three in and that, Deshante Jones. And that's what
0: I did. Like yeah. my, my top three were Lazard, Butler, and Deshante. Like Deshante, again, taking that totality of career, his sophomore season was the only one that was like, oh, it wasn't very good.
1: Yeah. But then... But they also had a lot of good receivers.
0: They did. And they also... He performed even in that. His downfield blocking was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Like, he Allen would catch a ball or Trevor would catch a ball. And number eight is just blocking his butt off 17 yards down the field for someone else to succeed.
1: Didn't so like, he make the block that turned into the touchdown for Marchie in... In Oklahoma? In Oklahoma,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. He did. The, him the and Eat block,
1: yeah. Him, him and Eaton both. And like, they, they were... Deshante
0: didn't have the statistics in a sophomore season, but over the course of his career, I don't think you could, the other, the other person, I think Lenz was the one that was the, cl- Lenz and Money were the closest ones to dethroning them because I think Josh had a similar, again, if Josh was in this offense, it would have been Trevor, but better. I mean, it, so Lenz was a a phenomenal receiver and r- really good playmaker. Um, and I think he would be, Josh would have flourished in an offense like this and a quarterback like Purdy. In an offensive line that protected him, Quentin Bundridge also was very good. Yeah, that's true. There were times when Quentin was the
1: only threat. Yeah, for the entire offense, the only one. That that 2013 season he had was really good. It was unfortunate that he got hurt in the first, like on the first play of the next season. Literally, I think yeah. the very first play. Yeah. It, it was
0: a hitch that he was just a non-comp. It was North Dakota State, I think, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because I I remember them. I remember Coach Rhodes saying. You know, that they wanted to kinda of ease Allen into things. That was his freshman mm-hmm. season and that was his, obviously his very first game. And they're like, We're gonna kinda of try and ease him into things and like, all of a sudden they, they guy- knew and it, then literally your best receiver gets hurt on the first play of the year and it's like, Oh, well, never mind. Now number five has to play. Yeah, good luck, buddy. Have fun introducing yourself. And then I think I, I think he got a catch on his first play, too. So. I think he did.
0: Yeah. yeah. And then that
1: just led to a whole bunch more catches. I was going to say, and that was that. kind of the beginning of, of everything that Allen was going to do. But uh, I think money is underrated, too. Money Reynolds is when he was
0: on, dude was unstoppable. Like, he was Hakeem. Obviously, not as tall, not as straight up going to moss you, but like... The thing that money would do is that, you know, when, when someone like Julio will catch a pass and some corner comes up to tackle him and just get a stiff arm to the chest and just put plant somebody in the ground. Mm -hmm. I think money had like the seventh or eighth highest bench press on the entire roster. And he was playing wide receiver. The dude was freakishly strong and freakishly fast. Um, So like when he would do the routes that he was comfortable with running, You, you knew that like JB or so Barnett or Steele would just throw it up somewhere in the range of where he's at. And he was probably going to come down with it when he had to come down with it. So I think money was, he was, he was LaMichael Petway,
1: but he would have been really good. And I think this is another one of the, like kind of a common theme. There's some of these guys that would have been really good in the offenses that they're running now and on the defensive side on the defenses that showed up like the,
0: but as far as wide receivers are concerned with money, um, LeMichael Petway, I sent a picture when I was at um, spring or at the fall camp of LeMichael Petway wearing number seven with short dreads, standing with his shirt rolled up underneath his or his jersey rolled up underneath his pads and a white undershirt underneath it. That's exactly what Money would wear, and he's built the same, built like a brick house. And I remember sending a picture into that group chat that I have with our Spears and A Rob, and I was like, "Damn, Money get Money showed up at practice today and." a was like that slick son of a B. He got yeah. an extra year of eligibility because it looks just like him. Yeah. I think um, money had more down the field ability um, and could, and money could have been taught how Petway's greatest idea, his capacity was to kind of find space in zones uh, is because he has another game is like find space in zones and body up somebody like you're setting up on the block. Uh, if he could, if money could have been in this offense, it would have been very similar to what LaMichael Petway did. But I think with a little bit more explosion, um, Cause that dude was a freak to watch and just to, to, to do anything. And then Lenz was Trevor Ryan, but I think a little bit more skilled than Trevor. Trevor was just really freaking fast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Trevor was a multiple time state champion track athlete. Like he was, he's probably one of the fastest guys that they've had in, in the program yeah. in, in the last several years, uh, tight end another one probably don't need to spend much time on cuz it was really easy. There's really EJ and Charlie. It's it's EJ and Charlie. There's no really other two options, but man, EJ's two seasons, the statistics he put up in just two years are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he was really 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 good. The, like those offenses would have been because it was Bun. would have been absolutely horrible. It was it Bundridge. For him. It was Bundridge and EJ. Yeah, were the and in thirteen. It was yeah. Was really the only. And then fourteen, it was it was EJ and, and Mike, Allen and, Al, well,
0: and Mike and, Warren and Mike Warren. Yeah, like that was your entire offense.
1: Yeah. Well, no, fifteen was Mike Warren. Oh, sorry. Then yeah. it was. uh, that was, Who was that then? Uh, Tyler Brown uh, or Wimberly? Wimberly. Yeah. Ooh, that was the, that was the two and ten season. Oof. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. But remember that play, like, that was, was an the Oklahoma, The Oklahoma
0: State one where he just backhanded, stabbed one out of the air in front of someone's yeah. face?
1: Well, and I remember the game when he was playing, when they were playing Toledo, and they were wearing the yellow uniforms. And uh, he carried, like, three guys into the end zone, getting his jersey ripped, like, all this kind of stuff. Like, he was a grown man playing amongst boys What's that fun- season. <laughs> What's funny is EJ,
0: I, I probably, by the time he was done, he wasn't like this, but EJ was one of those guys that you'd be at practice and it'd be like a play that you've run like 300 times. And he's, he would be asking Ernst Brown, like, Hey man, what do I got on Seattle? And Ernst would be like, what, <laughs> what do you have? It's, it's slants. You have slants on Seattle, Seattle sleep. You've it's literally day one install. How do you not know this? And so he'd just not have any idea what he was doing. And I, I, I get that had to have changed from the time he got done. But like, Oh man, he had no concept as to what he was doing when he first got there and would genuinely be like one of the, one of the guys where you would just shake your head and like, how are you forgetting this? This is not even that hard. <laughs> it's like, how do you fold a shirt? Like <laughs> that's just basic stuff. Do you understand how, how do you exist in football? But yeah, very clearly he, he figured it out by the yeah. time he was done, but it was, it was not promising when he first got there because memorization was hard for EJ. Uh, yeah.
2: That was,
1: that was, an interesting, uh, Interesting era. And then... On many levels. And then Campbell inherited literally no tight ends. Yeah, zero scholarship tight ends. None. Well, yeah, zero scholarship tight ends. I think they had someone in the recruiting class that they basically just dropped. Uh, offensive line, this one was one of the harder ones. Uh, well, the, the first one wasn't. Well, no, there's, there's three guys or two guys that are really obvious. And then... Um, the like other three were hard because of the fact that the offensive line was really not good for a long period of the of the, the decade. Well and I think there were guys There were guys who were good individual talents. Right. But it was like how do we pinpoint how can like we sit here and justify, you know, Jamison Locke? Like how can we sit here and justify Jameson Locke being on this team when you consider how bad those offensive lines were? But even though he might not have actually been individually that bad. Cause those offensive lines were bad. Well, I the Honestly, so I almost put
0: KO as the athlete of the decade. Yeah. And for all sports, but George, I mean, you can't, for me, like as I can't vote for anybody other than Niang, but it was like George was my number one. And then the three immediate honorable mentions were KO, Allen, and Monte. Like those were my three right away next ones because, I mean, we, we haven't seen it in the past how, you know, year or so because he's been injured. But when, even when you watch him play for the Ravens and he is just absolutely just mauling NFL players. Yeah. That's how he was in college. Like KO was one of the best athletes and one of the best talents. He was also sometimes a pain in the ass, but that pain in the assness eventually worked itself out. And he figured out like, okay, this is how I need to carry myself. This is what I needed to do and became the, what the highest draft pick, at Iowa State since 1977? I mean, there was a period of time where he was the highest paid offensive lineman in the NFL. Because he was a second round. It ended yeah, the, the second, second right?
1: I think second round, yeah. Yeah.
0: He would have been the guy that if the, the question marks were, does he really want to do it? And he was kind of a pain in the ass. And so that probably dropped him from the first to the second. But his talent was first round NFL draft pick talent. Yeah, for sure. And then Tom Farniak was the other one. That was unanimous. Dude, I don't know how Tom is still walking at this point. Like, he had... So many knee sprains and ankle sprains and toe sprains. And, and kept playing anyway. And kept playing anyway. Like, his foot, his ankles have to be absolute garbage right now. Because he played in, I think, every single game except the ones that he tore his ACL. Did he tear his ACL? Or is it just a mem- MCL? No, it was an MCL sprain that he missed a game. Yeah. He, he missed one game in his college career. Yeah. He, he started 47 games at Iowa State. Yeah. it wasn't. He had a, an MCL sprain that he, he missed a game. Yeah. And then came back. And yeah, Tom was.
1: And I remember that whole week, everybody's like, they aren't going to have Tom Farniak.
0: Good luck.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh no, this is not going to go very well.
0: Good luck. And Tom, it was another one of those guys. Like when Tom was a freshman, man, he got tossed. He got ragdolled so bad. But the nice thing for him is when he was a freshman, when he came in to play as a freshman, he was in between Ethan Tufty and Hayworth Hicks, which are two of the strongest humans I've ever met in my life. And so like he could sort of kind of get tossed around because if he's doing a combo block, he's getting shoulder to shoulder with Tufty. Well, Tufty, and I I think I mentioned it on here at least 10 times, 800 pound back squatter, 500 pound bench guy and 400 pound power clean, like in in 33 and a half inch vertical at 330 pounds, a freak athlete, insane athlete. And so if Tom could just sort of kind of get in front of somebody in a combo block and just pass it off to Tufty, then Tufty's going to move him wherever he needs to go. And the nice thing is, between Tufty and Hayworth, they would also forget what they were supposed to do <laughs> half the time. So Tom was really in there. There seems
1: to be a common theme here. And
0: so Tom was really in there, and the reason why he was in there is because he could communicate really well with those two and yeah. be like, "Hayworth, you're coming with me on a double team to 52." <laughs> like, got it. He <laughs> like, was I just have to flat out tell, like, "All right, Ethan, combo to backside." Like, all right. And then they would just move someone. So, yeah, there is was, there was a bunch uh, between those two. Tom was just the wrangler to get the two enormous mountain-moving humans to just go in the right direction. Yeah. That was what Farniok's job was when he was
1: a freshman. Get uh, ragdolled and tell them what to do. And then the, the other three rounded out by uh, Jake Campos, who I think we never saw how good Jake could be, uh, mostly because of his injuries. He was... I mean, he was thrown into a pretty difficult spot as a redshirt freshman uh, starting at left tackle in the, Big, in the 12. Big 12. And when he was not ready, and I think that that really put him behind the eight ball a little bit as far as later down in his career. Still was a second team all Big 12 guy as a senior and, and got a cup of coffee with some with the Dallas Cowboys uh, in training camp. Um, but I, I think that, like I said, we probably never really got to see how good Jake could have been mm-hmm. if he had not had to play early on in his career. And then Julian Good-Jones and Josh Knipfel, both uh, still current offensive linemen.
0: When I put as the, the two that rounded out my 5 was were probably more individually biased because I could see them as individual players practice. Because yeah. I can't, since I left, I, didn't get to, I don't get to watch film. And I don't know what the scheme is and I don't know what the play is. So it's really hard to tell unless you know what each guy's supposed to do, who's doing the best thing. So a lot of times you kind of have to go on like, oh, There's this, you know, someone hasn't allowed a stat or someone's moving really well. And it's really hard to tell individual offensive linemen unless there's two ways you notice alignment is when they're doing something incredible and we're doing something really, really stupid. Like if you fall over and give up a sack, all right, there you go. But if you're Creed Humphrey for Oklahoma and you're just taking a defensive tackle seven yards backwards on a run play, then they're okay. That guy's really good. It's really hard to tell in the middle on any kind of average play what one person should be doing. Because sometimes even those, like, excuse me, one of those, like, give up a sack plays were really a communication error where, like, the guard was supposed to come out on the defensive end and the tackle, or the tackle was going to go out on the linebacker, and the guard came out and the tackle came down, and then the guy, the linebacker on the outside comes in scot-free. Right. And it looks like the tackle bodies this defensive tackle up and the guard was supposed to do something wrong, but it's really the other way around. And so it's really hard to tell. So my two guys that I had were Carter Bykowski, who played, I think, two years in the practice squad with the Vikings and Hayworth Hicks were those two guys. Um, because Carter, he was a really unathletic off or tight end who was a really athletic offensive lineman. And the thing with Carter is he was never like the strongest guy, but his feet were super, super good. And he could get to spots faster than everybody else. So by the time he would by the time a defensive end would engage him on a pass rush, he'd already set up himself on his kickstep. And so he was strong to stop somebody. And um, there were a few people that had the same kind of like mean, aggressive tenacity mm-hmm. that Carter would get when he would actually like turn it on. And then Hayworth, if Hayworth knew what he was doing there, I don't think between him and KO, I don't think there have been better linemen at Iowa state when Hayworth knew what he was doing, but the problem was, is he would sometimes he would again he would space out a little bit on where he was supposed to go. But like what comes to mind with him is the 2011 the Steel Jants game, the three overtime Iowa game. Mike Daniels, the what three time All Pro in the NFL for the Packers, was playing for Iowa, and he was causing just absolute mayhem against everybody else. And by the end of the game, we would switch the protection um, to put Hayworth on Daniels. So like if he was playing. Uh, a more of a nose because he was usually the three technique. So like if he was playing more of a nose and they just bumped it over, then we would shift Hayworth to that side. And so he would pretty much go one-on-one with Daniels. And if he was to to the one, to to the three technique side, which means he's outside the guard, then we would just straight up go man-to-man protection on that side and zone the other side. So it would be like, Hayworth, you got that future all pro go. And he stole, I don't think Daniels had a sack. He didn't have one sack against Steel Jams in that game because Hayworth just bodied that dude up. And so when he was as, when he knew what he was doing and had a, all right, son, go get him. And like the, the example to me is like a basketball, in basketball where, you know, somebody who is just a straight up baller, like you cannot stop. Like Allen Iverson was obviously great at assists, but like Allen Iverson, if you're one-on-one and it's just spread everybody out and just let him get to the basket, There wasn't any thought to that. It was just go be really good. Hayworth had that of go be really good. When you simplified what you needed to do, unbelievable. So Hayworth to me um, was if he could have known what he was doing a little bit more, and I don't know what the cause of that was, just he's Hayworth. But like if he could have known what he was doing, that dude could have and should have been in the NFL. He's been like the offensive lineman of the year in arena football like three different times.
1: All right. We'll talk about the defense. We'll take a quick break. But we'll talk about the all-decade defense. And then I want to talk about the Heisman Trophy, too, Uh, when we come back. Because I did—I want to say that I was right. I was right. And I want to rub it in your face when we come back on Football and Random Things on Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Welcome back to Football and Random Things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. We're going to run through the all-decade defense— as put together on the CycloneFanatic.com, by the CycloneFanatic.com staff. Uh, I'll also say we will have the, the basketball team will be coming out either two, late Monday after this podcast is posted or Tuesday morning, just depending on whenever I get the writing done. So you guys can anticipate seeing that here in the next 24 hours or so. Uh, defense, this was the defensive line, was one of the hardest positions. And it was the only one that I had to go, it, it ended up with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, it ended up with 12 different guys who got votes for four, or four, four spots. Um, it was also the only one that I had to go to, a, to our tiebreaker, Jay Jordan, uh, to make a final distinction. Who it, are the ones that, who are the finals that actually ended up being on the team? So Jaquan Bailey was, a, was the only unanimous selection uh, Ray Lima made the team. Jake McDonough and Corey Morrissey. Okay. Uh, Jaquan the the artist formerly known as number as number nineteen. Number 19. The uh, one of the great transformations in recent Iowa State uh, Iowa State history for what Jaquan was early on in his career to where where he is now obviously this season was cut short for him but and he'll be back for his senior season hopefully to break the single or the the career sack record uh but it would it would have been hard to leave Jaquan off this team just based purely on production he was bad his freshman year he was we remember
0: we remember this is back in the CFTV live days for those of you've been been ride or die yeah
1: the the folks have been with us since the beginning what 2016 that yeah, 2015, 16. Yeah, I think we did it in 15, 16. Yeah. Um, well, we might have even done it in 17 too. Because we and then did. It was like three weeks, and then we had to. No, I remember we did do it in 17 because uh that was when I remember sitting there with the iPad and you were doing the Oklahoma game. So, oh did, yeah, well, with, I think yeah, we did yeah. all 17. That's when we finally got it to like sometimes work with the iPad, and and then it was like we did one show I think in 18 and it was like all right, we're done with this. And that was half of. uh half of that was just me pointing out Jaquan Bailey doing
0: something stupid. Yeah. Like the first year of him being there. Uh, and then eventually he kind of pulled, obviously pulled it together. And I think um, it turned from me to we like, that is what happened with Jaquan Bailey where one of the crazy things about being a defensive lineman is it's one of the positions that is more important to be a supporting character mm-hmm. than it is to be the lead, the main character but you have the capacity to be a main character. So like imagine if an offensive guard could record rushing yards where like, it doesn't make sense for you to do that. Not necessarily doesn't make sense. It would be cool. Like theoretically to to have these kind of name brand statistics, but a guard's, best way to do something is to make somebody else look really good, which is why like Ray Lima is on this list. Ray, if you just look straight, st- strictly at statistics, there's no reason Ray Lima is on this list. None. He doesn't have very good statistics, like tackles and sacks and stuff like that. But what he does in this defense is incredibly difficult and incredibly important, which is keep people off your linebackers and let them go make tackles.
1: I mean, I, don't, I think you can argue that in, in this three-year stretch, there's not... Anybody that's been more important than him. I think you can make an argument that he's the most important player of these of this three year stretch, at least defensively. Well, And he's been he was a guy like Ray is the reason of uh, the three defensive just
0: Ray and the defensive linemen that have been there. So between Jaquan and any
1: and like Wagner, J.D. Wagner was uh, so Corey Morrissey and J.D. Wagner were were tied. And so and Jay, Jay rightly picked Corey and Jay was the one who, who made the final call that it would be Corey. I think of every, so, but anyway, the defensive linemen
0: that they had yeah. were the only reason that they can get away with this three down look. Because if you, if you have a three down look without the lineman that you would need, then you have un, guards are uncovered essentially in a three down look where sometimes Iowa state plays this four, I, which is just, it's inside of the tackle to kind of outside the the guard. So it's sort of covering them. But if you don't have a a defensive lineman that's worthwhile, those guards just get right up on your linebackers right now. And there's no way that a 230, 240-pound linebacker play after play after play after play after play is going to be able to defeat a guard if the guard gets there without being touched. And so your defensive lineman has to hold those guards and, and the tackles off of the linebackers as long as possible. And so Ray, two, sometimes three guys, have to try and move him so they can get access to the linebackers and he just doesn't move. So between him and any um and Jaquan, that's allowed this defense to be what it is. But you mentioned Corey Morrissey. I don't think there's a person on this team or on this uh, uh, I don't think there's a person in the decade that if he was allowed to be in this system just to play in 2019 with this coaching staff with his personality with his skill set that would have a greater increase in production than Corey Morrissey. If he was allowed to be the the 4 eye that defensive end, Jaquan Bailey would look like a chump compared to Corey because of how athletic and tenacious and n- relentless Corey is and was. Like I don't know if you've ever stood next to him. Oh yeah, I have. He's what six four, about two seventy, and yeah. has like an eight pack. He is. A, 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 and in that he is incredibly intense in how he goes about doing everything. And so the thing that he had that was different than anybody else was he honestly wasn't the most athletic, like his feet were good. They weren't great. His feet were, or his, his hands were good. They weren't great, but he was going to keep working until he found an angle. And like I, the and granted Brandon Scherf was coming off a knee surgery like six days earlier, but the win that, that the Cole um, game winner, mm-hmm. Corey had two sacks against Brandon Scherf, who was the fourth overall pick that season or fourth or fifth overall pick that season. And he put Scherf on his won, ass, won the Allen trophy. Yeah. He, he won the offensive lineman of the year and Corey beat that dude like a drum. And again, he was coming off surgery six days prior, but imagine what John Haycock and um, Eli, Eli Rashid. Rashid could do with Corey in this, in the system that they have that I think that is the of everybody Him and maybe Sam Richardson are the guys that are the most would have taken them from where they were, which is good to where they could be, which is incredible. I I think think.
1: Jarvis West would have been really good in this system
0: too. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of guys just in this system that could have improved, but I, I, of of everybody, I think Corey would have been one of them. And I think the other one, another guy that I really debated between McDonough, um, but I felt that enough people are going to vote for Jake that I, I put him as like my instant honorable mention, even though he was my roommate. Um, But Brandon Jensen was the other defensive tackle that I put down there because he was the only reliable defensive or interior defensive lineman for like three years during the real darth of Iowa State defensive line. And um, there were times he would play like 75 snaps a game. And for a defensive lineman, that's about 35 more than you should play. So imagine Ray Lima. I mean, granted, I don't think... BJ isn't Ray, but like, imagine Ray Lima playing 75 snaps in a game. Yeah. Like by the time he gets exhausted, what are you going to do? You can't, you cannot be that productive. Right. But Brandon, when he was effective and if he had the capacity to rest, which he didn't when he was playing, I think Brandon would have been another guy, but, um, they yeah, had defensive line.
1: I think that was the hardest. Some other honorable mentions, like I said, JD Wagner, Dale Pearson, Jake uh, Jake Latimer, uh, Jake Latimer, Cleon Lang, Jamal mm. Johnson, Demon Tucker, uh, and then there was one vote for David Irving. No. Yeah. No. I know that at least one other person considered putting them on him on their ballot as well. Is it you? No, it was not me. Was not me. I will say though, if David could have could have played out his whole career, I mean he he was a he was a freak. Of
0: course he was. We saw yeah. what he did in the NFL. Yeah, he was That's, an absolute freak. Yeah, he was a total dumbass though. <laughs> Like, and I don't mean this in the sense of like he was a a dumbass of a person, but like well, he, he was he was the way that Irving carried himself is he just didn't really care what anybody else thought, which included coaches. Oh, um, believe it. we've seen the picture. Yeah, but there's a again, like there's no he doesn't really he was living his own life, and if he could have just listened to somebody, then. I think that might've been what happened when he was having success with Dallas is he finally listened to someone and was like, okay, I can do a little bit more, or I could do a, you know, do this a little bit better. And then,
1: you know, when did David Irving things
0: uh,
1: linebackers? Another one of the, the first two were really easy. The first two were both unanimous. Uh, nobody more synonymous with the early part of the Iowa state I, of the decade, I would say then AJ Klein and Jake Knott. I mean, the two, like the two names are forever going to be connected. It's
0: always Jake and AJ. It's,
1: it's always Jake and AJ. Um, and then the third guy that ended up with them, I think was perfect because he was right there alongside them and, and really didn't get to be a star until after they were gone. And that's Jeremiah George. Yep. Um, and Jeremiah was another guy like Hayworth
0: r- really early on that, and, and Jerem, I know Jeremiah figured it out later. Like by the time he was done, I know that he had figured out where he was supposed to be, but he relied a lot on his just pure athleticism, like athleticism and aggression. Cause that dude, like he modeled himself after Ray Lewis. So you, you see all that, like Ray Lewis, like, you know, that motivation, let's go. You need to do that. Like that kind of
1: intense. He still does that. Like with the Colts, they'll, they'll share videos of him sometimes. Did. Where, oh, it did, He's but not with the Colts anymore. I didn't know
0: that last year he was, but okay. that, that intensity is he carried that all the time. But when he was playing with Jake and AJ, the reason why Jake and AJ were so good is because they knew what you were doing at the instant that you knew what you were doing, not before, but as soon as you laid out a formation. And I think the best tell of this was, or any of the tells I get the, the, the specific example I have is the, the tip that Jake had in the Oklahoma state game. The reason he was able to do that, he was out of position but deliberately out of position. So Jake, Jake and AJ would study film together and and they would watch it with Wally at various times. And those dudes knew the other offense so well by the time they were done that in that second overtime, when again, when not tipped it up to TB and Taron Benton gets the interception, we want to win Justin Blackman, who did he win the bullet that year? I assume so. So when Justin Blackman was on I think the think he f- finished somewhere in the Heisman voting even. Yeah. So, and yeah, him and Wheaton. And so in the, um, in their offense, Blackman was always an X receiver. And what X receiver means is almost, you are almost, it's what Allen played. You're almost exclusively an outside receiver, uh, whether you're to the formation with three, like say it's trips and three guys to your, to your side, you're going to be either the farthest outside, or you're going to be the one on the point in the middle. You're very rarely going to be the number three and where you're going to be the one receiver to the other side. You're very rarely going to be the third receiver in a three receiver set to the inside. Well, they would come out with certain packages that uh, would allow Blackman to be the third receiver. But in those third packages, and this is all coming secondhand from having Jake and AJ, Jake and AJ having told me or told stories, and I would just learned from it, was whenever Blackman would line up in the third slot, he would do one of two things. Either he's going to run a seam, or he was going to run a dig. So a dig, meaning 10 to 12 yards, he's going to come across the middle of the field. But most of the time it was going to be a dig. So Jake, what he was supposed to do is he was supposed to carry anybody. Meaning if someone runs up the field, he was supposed to carry them. And then he was supposed to sit down on anything underneath. And so what they would try and do is they do a, a, like a drive concept, which means the very far outside guy to the three receiver side runs at about five yards. And the, the, inside receiver runs at 10 to 12 yards. And so what that guy running at five yards, the timing of it would hit where linebacker carries the number three guy. So Blackman backwards. And then he sees the, the guy at five yards coming underneath him. And his job is to play down on that. And him playing down on that opens up up that window right to Blackman and the safeties, especially if they're playing like cover two, the safeties would have split. Whedon buries it right on Blackman's between 81, right? Between the eight and the one and he turns it upfield for a touchdown. Well, Jake was supposed to play down in that five yard under, but he knew that they never throw the ball to him. They want to get the ball to Blackman. So he bailed in his responsibility. So he carried number three, which is Blackman, carried number three and played underneath the dig when he should not have been doing that. If Blackman would have or if Whedon just would have dumped it underneath to that drive concept, would have had five, seven yards. But they wanted to get the ball to Blackman. They forced it in. Jake knew what was happening, tipped it up. TB gets an interception. It's Blitnikoff award-winning wide receiver that a linebacker covered because he knew what he was doing Mm -hmm. before they knew what he was doing. And Whedon fell right into the trap that Jake laid and AJ would do the same thing. Like those pick sixes that he had were, they'd come out in a certain formation. They knew that Jake knew that where they wanted to go with the ball. He would just bait them. He would put himself deliberately out of position and then be like, all right, look how wide open your number two wide receiver is. You should throw it to him. And then he steps underneath it. Takes it back for six. So they would do that. They would know by your formation, your alignment, your personnel, they would narrow it down to one of three plays. And then by one step, they know, okay, well, it's not the other two, it's this play. And they'd get to where they needed to go. Yeah. And by the time Jeremiah got to be, Jeremiah George got to be a senior, he didn't have that same level, but he had somewhere close where he knew better what was going on so he could get in the spot before anybody else did and just blow
2: crap up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All three guys were first team, all big 12 players. AJ was the, Defensive player of the year in the Big 12 one season. Um, And then Jeremiah also obviously was a a central player. And I think that if you wanted to go back and look at the moment that the Paul Rhodes era really like turned for the worse, was that game against Texas when... I mean, that, it's like everything changed from that, that night on. I hate it. And, and that's, I why, know, that's, that's, yeah. the,
0: that's the real root cause of why I don't like Mike DeFee. Yeah. That's I, the, I it's really the exclusive root cause.
1: What was the locker room like after that game? Mad. I can imagine. I mean, mm. I, I, what I put in the, in the, the piece, I included coach Rhodes's speech that he gave to the media after that game. Um, that was awful. That, that was so irritated because
0: we all knew that, that was complete BS. We all knew it. Yeah. And it was one of those things where like, what do you do? You know, like there's no, there's no, there's the whole justice thing, like generally speaking. And, and I feel like I am of everybody, like w- very fair on officials, like they're humans, you're expecting them to make mistakes, but when it's such an egregious screw up that goes against you, you feel like personally insulted so that, yeah, that locker room was really not comfortable because I, I think the, the thing that I had the biggest beef with, and this is, I think, the reason why they apologize is not that they ruled him down or not that they ruled him for progress. It's that they ruled him down by contact pre-review. And then during the review, they ruled him forward progress had been stopped. So they weren't confirming that he was down. They had changed the reason why he was tackled in between the review, which is not possible. You can't switch that over. Mm-hmm. If it's forward progress is only reviewable and only defensible on the field and you can confirm forward progress on the field. Actually, I don't even think you can confirm forward progress. I don't think you can review that at all because it's subjective. So if you blow the whistle on forward progress, play's done. And they yeah, they ruled him down by contact, very clearly not, then they came back and ruled forward progress. And that again was the biggest What the hell are you talking about? You can't do that.
1: Mhm. Yeah. Three guys who I think were very deserving in the honorable mention, uh, category, Willie Harvey, Marcel Spears, and then Joel Laney. but we'll come back to him. Uh, Willie and Marcel both. I mean, there were some really good linebackers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that was I, that's I, just been... about any other time. Those guys probably are both in there.
2: Well,
0: and I think that's the strongest position yeah. that, uh, at through the entire decade was linebacker was you had the most consistent, good choices to choose from. There was a lot of Good defensive linemen, where there weren't many great defensive linemen.
1: Yeah, there was, there were great linebackers. There, there was at least. I think you could say there was. The three were great. I think Willie was borderline great, and then Marcel had a lot of great moments that. That made him... And if Joel... Make him, make him very important.
0: If Joel could have played another year, yeah. he would have been in that great category too. Yeah. Because by the time he was done, he was a really darn good linebacker. He just only had one season and his first three games were actually pretty bad because he had never done it before. Right. He was not pretty bad. They were adequate.
1: The... The Iowa game was bad. How remarkable what he did. I mean, just for him to switch that way, like from what the one position to the other and, and then eventually have success. Like it... It's yeah. understandable why people are like love that story so. Understand, much. Yeah, yeah. understandably and
0: deservedly so.
1: Because that's, I mean, it's just it. It's incredibly hard to do that. Uh, defensive backs. There's a lot of really good names for this one as well. Uh, the easiest two, Brian Peavy. I mean, might be the best pure cover corner that Iowa State's ever had, at least since Ellis Hobbs. Yeah, I would say Ellis Hobbs. It's kind of hard to put somebody over top of him. Yeah. Um,
0: but yeah, Peavy as far as just shut down. Was real, real good. Uh, and then Greg Eyesworth
1: was the other one that was unanimous. Who were the other two? What did Leonard make it? Leonard made it. And then I already know know how you're gonna react. Uh, Kamari Cotton Moya. I actually don't have much beef with that. His senior year, he just fell off a cliff. Yeah, that's more of a it's more of a J. Jordan Hill to die, like to 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 fight on. The, the Kamari not being very good, Hill. Yeah, it, but it, not being a big Kamari fan, that's kind of, that's kind of where Jay lands his his sophomore like the middle of his career. He was really, really good. Yeah, big 12 defensive newcomer of the year in 2014. <laughs> but then
0: by the time he got uh, yeah, by the time he got to be a senior, I don't know if it was like lack of effort or or what, but
1: he he was he, not good by the time he was a senior. He would have been better, I think, playing like the role that Greg does mm-hmm. where he can play a lot more in the box. And yeah. kinda cause he was that's what I remember him being good at physical. Was, was being physical and being able to really stop the run, but he was not a very good cover safety. Yeah, he was Which is weird because he did have some really good plays that I mean he scored two touchdowns. He had the pick six against Pat Mahomes. But well, he still he would still get himself mostly
0: in the right spot in coverage and is again a sophomore junior season. But by the time he got to be a senior year, I don't know if it was just because he didn't really feel like he trusted trust anybody else, but he would gamble way too much Yeah, in his other ones. My, so I had my four were Leonard Peavy and Eyesworth. Um were those for sure. Three. And then the fourth one I put Taron Benton. Yeah. Um, Taron Benton, Jock
1: Washington were the other two. Yeah.
0: Cause Jock would tackle anything. Oh, like he and Jeremy
1: was, Reeves. Jeremy Reeves also was yeah. in
0: there. Yeah. JR was really good. He just was so little and inj- like just pseudo injury prone because he just, he was 170 mm-hmm. pounds. Granted, ja- his his body fat was like 1% with
1: Jeremy Reeves, but yeah. And then Jacquez was, I voted for Jacquez. He, uh, and then he commented by sound bites. He commented on the uh, Instagram post. He was, he was offended. Um, uh, like he was offended, but he said, he said, whoa boy or something like that.
0: I, uh, I think I had a, an honorable mention of, yeah, Jacquez. Yeah, I, I put Jacquez on my ballot. But, but I, I put TB because TB was super versatile. Like he would have, again, in that star position, he would have been really, really good. Yeah. Because he was like 215. He was like 6'1, 15 ran like a deer, um, but could play physical when he needed to. But he played, I think he was at his strongest. He played safety, but he was at his strongest when he was playing nickel which is a true nickel position. I don't think Iowa state has now currently in a, a true nickel position. Eyesworth is the closest thing to it. It's a little different because the offenses aren't quite the same. Yeah. But like when he would be the guy that follows the slot receiver, the tight end around, yeah. he's the guy that like, you know, you you're going up against, I
1: think it was Eggnew,
0: the big tight end from Missouri.
2: Yeah.
1: And that's what I was gonna say. That was like the peak of like the Big 12 spread it out air raid where you've got Sam Bradford and Texas Tech and Missouri and the Colt way they're playing. Colt McCoy. I mean, like every team had to have that guy who was just that who, was like who could cover anybody. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Anybody. And yeah. that was that and that was TB. And he played safety, he played nickel, he played corner. I think that was the reason why I like TB, because if you look over the course of his four years he played three different positions really well. So that was my vote was I put TB, Leonard, PV, and Eyesworth. And I think by the time it's all said and done, I think Eyesworth might be the best defensive back at Iowa State if he's able to stay healthy for the next season.
1: Yeah, I I could agree with that. Uh, Utility, like I said, we'll come back to mention Joel Lanning. Uh, This spot was basically created specifically for Joel Lanning because I don't think you can talk about the decade of Iowa State football without him. Right. I mean – just the number of things that he was able to do, and and you th- is obviously most of it comes as a senior, but the five touchdowns on the ground against Texas Tech,
0: the game against Baylor when he didn't throw an inter- he didn't throw an incompletion in the entire first half. I think he was thirteen for thirteen, and, they, and granted they ended up losing that game, but it was thirteen for thirteen, and I think he had like two touchdowns, two three touchdowns.
1: Yeah, and then uh, obviously I mean his list of things from his senior season, whether it's the Oklahoma game. Uh, the, touch, the touchdown he threw to Allen against Oklahoma State, uh, everything that he did in the Liberty Bowl to be the, you know, to I think be the defensive MVP, scored a touchdown running in that game, got the game-winning first down. I mean, there, there's, I the list of Joel Lanning memories are, are so expansive. It's like you can't not have him on something like this. I don't remember
0: the game, but wasn't there a game where he recorded a passing touchdown, a rushing touchdown, a tackle for loss, or excuse me, a sack and a solo tackle.
1: Wasn't it the Oklahoma State game? I don't
0: recall, but there was one game that he had. I like, think that was the only time he threw a touchdown that year. The so. combination of yeah, rushing touchdown, passing touchdown, sack and tackle, like or a pass breakup. Excuse me, sack and a pass breakup. And I was like, "There's, there's no one else since." Yeah, Dion Sanders maybe, or like Champ Bailey when he was at Georgia. Eric Weddle
1: actually, I think I remember okay. hearing that he was the one who had done that or something. But some, I mean, it's such an absurd, yeah. tiny little niche.
0: And there's no, yeah, there's nobody that was able to do that many things that well. Cause there are guys that would like, would switch from wide receiver to corner or corner to wide receiver or linebacker to fullback or fullback to defensive end or whatever. Like there are certain guys that will shift positions around. And even like right now, um, the kid, the quarterback that they recruited out of Texas is, or excuse me, out of Kansas is playing tight end. Right now, the guy on the roster, yeah, Easton Dean. East Dean, and so he's, he's shifted positions away from quarterback. Fine. Like that totally cool, whatever. But to have success at multiple positions, not just taking a guy like Tavon Kyle, like Tavon Kyle probably wasn't going to be a successful receiver because of the depth they had the position, move him over to corner. He has immediate success at another position. That's just still one position. They was just in the wrong spot in the first place. Joel wasn't in the wrong spot. He was just in a less good spot. So he was in a successful quarterback and then he got to be a successful linebacker and it would still flow back and forth to be a wildcat quarterback fullback. And there's nobody that did that. The quarterback linebacker fullback position, Blake Bell can kiss it because there's nobody that does it as well. Mm-hmm. Cause he wanted to playing tight end. There's nobody who plays both sides of the ball like that. No, nobody. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen again for a very long time.
1: Yeah. And I mean, everybody will say the moment when he came in at quarterback in that Oklahoma game was the moment that flipped the entire the entire deal because that was like rejuvenated the team. They're down seventeen zero, you know, or whatever it was. Things were looking very bleak, and they put him in, and right away David busted off a big run. I think he had a couple big runs
0: wasn't a big reception like as a swing pass david had like a 32 yeah, yard and
1: the one where he like reversed backfield and you see yeah. joel running down there alongside him like lead blocking yeah getting like a, yeah. a
0: pancake in front of him
1: right and that was like the thing that everybody was like oh okay like this guy's gonna put us on his back a little bit and then he comes up with the uh he had the the fumble recovery inside the five he got the sack on baker mayfield like that was a performance that I don't know that we'll ever be able to forget that. Kyle Kempt obviously deserves a lot of recognition for that. And David Montgomery. And David. And Alan and, Lazard. And, like, and yeah, Trevor Ryan. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that, like, that go into that whole thing. Yeah. But like Joel flipped that whole game like by going back to playing quarterback after the way that that week had gone. Put the team on back door. And, it, and I've heard stories about how when he did that, he had not done that at all the entire season in practice. They just were like, and then that dude, one, we need something, But That week, they threw him in there at practice and it was like, everybody was like, okay, Joel's got us, we're good.
0: Also, it, it's funny because like Matt Campbell is generally speaking very even keeled he's yeah. very emotionless on the sideline he, you know if someone scores a touchdown he's like he'll do the little fist pump thing and then he'll put his finger up like all right we got to mm-hmm. kick an extra point whatever but he doesn't like celebrate that much but then when i think it was when joel threw a touchdown threw, pass, threw the touchdown to alan that alan tipped up in the air to himself yeah. and then you see campbell on the sideline being like I, I expletive love him yeah i expletive love him and he's just like beaming like a kid that just got an n64 yeah. for christmas right and in 1997 in 1997 yeah in 2019, you got
1: an N64. I'd still be pumped. I'd be pumped too. If someone bought me an
0: N64, I would actually be really happy. Uh, Christmas list. Anybody? Um, I'll be in, uh, I'll be in Orlando from 26th to 28th. It's after Christmas, but if I'm still, I'm still accepting Christmas presents anyway. Um, but cam having Campbell show that much emotion towards the guy kind of indicates how he was, is how he was looked at by the coaches, by the team, by everybody else, by the organization. The administration, everybody top to bottom looked at Joel Landing like, man, this is our golden boy. Like, there's nobody that we could have got that's better for us right now than him. Like, he was, he might have been the most right place, right time. We talk about Morrissey and Sam being out of place. He might have been the most in place where his career doesn't happen later because Iowa State doesn't have the success. They don't have to get the recruits, but they don't get, you know, Brock Purdy by the time they get Brock or by the time they get even like, I mean, Jacob Park was one of the ones that sort of like just steered him out of yeah. being there, yeah. but they don't get these, they have talented quarterbacks later. He has to move to linebacker somewhere else, but then you still have Willie Harvey. You still have guys like Marcel Spears. You get Mike Rose. I don't know if he cracks the lineup even mm-hmm. by switching over. So they had need, they had a need at a linebacker and they didn't have as much of a need at quarterback as what they could have gotten with him at linebacker. So his timing was so perfect that he got what he got because of when he was there.
1: Yeah. All right, specialists, and then we'll uh, talk about the Heisman very quickly, and then we'll, we'll be done. Cole Netton was the kicker, unanimous selection. I mean, he's, he has seven school records at Iowa State. But. And he's the, he's the last, and probably not last and only,
0: who was the, who, name another kicker that was as reliable as Cole, that you, could, that you could get inside the 40 and be like, all right, we at least have three. When I mean, was the last time or the only time that happened?
1: I think the only other guy recently, I mean, Garrett Owens was pretty good that one year that he was here in 2017. He was very reliable, but he only played one year. Yeah. So that, that hurts him a little bit. And he, I mean, he stepped into some pretty big shoes to obviously having to replace Cole. Uh, but yeah, Cole was automatic as automatic as you were ever going to find in at that position. Yeah. He's for, also
0: for a, four years. One basically. of, one of the funny thing about the kickers too. Cause like, uh, the the kick, kickers are a goofy bunch yeah personality wise so the, the kickers that i had when i was there were uh cole grant mahoney zach Geyer, and edwin arceo those were our kickers when we were there and between Geyer and edwin were like just normal like kind of nice reserved humans and then Netton and, and mahoney were like the biggest just littlest humans on the team with the biggest personalities that like even especially grant like Grant would make fun of coaches like, and, and no, and no one would be like, ah, Mahoney, crazy little Fox, like th- that personality. So Cole was one of the same people. He's just like an, like an, a hilariously odd duck. Yeah. That could just make any room smile. Yeah. And then just I would go classes out, with
2: Cole. Cole, and Cole then, was awesome. And
0: then would just go out and
1: nail kicks. Yeah. Yeah. Cole was awesome. Uh, Kirby Vanderkamp was the punter. Uh, punters, another ob- position that was really good. Obviously. Yeah. Punter was really good. Obviously another very good, uh, uh, He was a very good punter. Kirby was a multiple time, I think actually a four time all big 12 selection at punter. Uh, But the fake, the fake capabilities Uh of Kirby where I think what took him over the top from, from just about anybody. He was
0: so Kirby was, I was in Kirby's
1: wedding. Um,
0: And it's funny because Kirby is like, so the opposite of Cole that like Cole is like in Mahoney. Cause those are, again, those are the two guys that were there mostly. And they're like joking around like they're, you know, kind of the, the center stage and Kirby is like, would say seven words in a day and be totally cool with saying seven words in a day. Um, and all of them are going to be at the same tone. Like he's not going to put inflection in his comments, but he's just very consistent and very like one of the reasons. And I put, I think I put this in my little write up on Kirby, one of the, he was one of the big weapons that Wally Burnham had because Wally would run this bend, but don't break style defense. And it's the way that you run a bend, but don't break style defense. Isn't like, we're going to ratchet it up when you get inside the 20. It's basically, if you run eight plays, you're going to screw up on two of them. We're just, at some point you're, you're going to screw up on back-to-back plays and we're going to get you. And so you're trying to essentially keep everything in front of you and force them to run back-to-back plays and let college kids mess themselves up. And Kirby was one of the biggest weapons in that because he was so consistent at putting people inside the 10 that teams would have to drive. How many, yards? I mean, have to drive yeah. 75 yards to even get into scoring position because Kirby was so good at what he did. Um, but yeah, punter, like if you think about it, Colin Downing was good. Well, you went from Mike Brantner from Brantner to Kirby to Downing. For that was like a, a, a like a presidential turnover. It was like four years, four years, four years. So for like twelve years straight, yeah, it was guaranteed really good punter. And then it's funny we did we just didn't realize it, but and it, again rest uh, R I P Corey Dunn's Achilles for la- this season. But like that was the first time in like a decade that Iowa state didn't have like the best punter in the conference. And that was blatantly obvious last year against Iowa. Yeah. And we just sort of took And that it was for, Corey's first game. So right. right. And, and the, the first, the first yeah, like yeah. It not, it, I mean, it's no detriment, but yeah. like, you know, Joe Rivera was really good this year. Yeah. By the time everything got done, he was really consistent. He was starting to put, you get a lot of hang time, whatever, yeah. not allowing a bunch of returns, but yeah, it was, it was funny because you go again, Brantner, Kirby, Downing back to back to back. There was 12 years of really, really good punting,
1: which mm-hmm. is, Ironic that you're happy about that because we're very good. <laughs> there was a lot of punting. They got a lot of opportunities. As Adam Gray always lovingly says, punter you. Uh, last two, kick returner, Kanay Uh The honorable mentions for both spots were the same. And then punt returner, Trevor Ryan, Josh Lenz, and Jarvis West, the, the honorable mentions at both of those spots.
0: I, uh, yeah, I put Josh as the punt returner just cause I, and Josh and Trevor, it's funny because they're like the same person more or less. Um, I think, like I said, I think Josh was a little more skilled. I think Trevor was a little faster, but those guys were just Mr. Con- all four of them. Well, I think Kane isn't Mr. Consistent Kane is Mr. Explosive, but between Jarvis and Trevor and Josh, they were just like, you could always count on them. To make the right decision yeah and then when they made the right decision stupid
1: athletics Kene is at a disadvantage <coughs> as a kick returner because of some of the rule changes of kick yeah. returning and i mean there's a reason that every time he does get a return it almost always he's like a, he's a weapon because when he catches the ball and if he gets a return he almost always makes it past the 30 Mm -hmm. Almost always.
0: And they have to change people. Teams have to change there.
1: And he almost will come like one block away all of those times. Or if he can slip one tackle, then it's a touchdown. Yeah.
0: And I think a lot of the kicks out of bounds um, that Iowa State's received, because if you think about it, it's been a sizable number. There's been at least seven or eight kicks out of bounds have been trying to avoid kicking to him. Mm -hmm. It's been trying to just find some other space to get at the ball on the ground and directionally kicking. You know, it's sort of like if you're, A good but not great golfer, you're consistently around the 80s, and you take your driver and you're like, hey, you got to stay on the right side of the fairway. Like, you can get it in the fairway, but when someone tries to direct you to a specific spot, that's when it starts to flay a little bit, and it's really hard. It'd be better to just be like, all right, I'm going to go down the middle. Because as a kicker, a lot of times kickoff guys are good at doing one thing because you have to put so much pop into the ball that when you start telling them to direct it, it's a little bit harder to do. So the. Well, the Nuangu factor yeah. of have him being a dangerous returner, it does change this the it, it changes this the scope of what someone else can do.
1: And the fact of the matter is too that when you can fair catch the ball and get it at the 25. Then from anywhere. From anywhere, then it kind of it's like you we all know Matt Campbell. If Matt Campbell has an opportunity to just take the ball at the 25, unless Kane see something that is like really set up, I think more often than not, they're like just catch the ball. Get it forced at the twenty-five. Let's we have a good Brock. offense. Get Bald Brock. Let's not mess with it. Yeah. But if he sees an opening, like he knows, like Kane can take it to the house. Mm-hmm. He's done it once, you know. And I have a hard time believing that that kid is going to play out his entire rest of his career and not return another kick for a touchdown because he has been so close. I mean, fifteen times. Where just think how many times yeah. it's like he needed one more. One more block, one more. Or the kicker to just be a little bit late. Yeah. Just like one split thing needed to happen for him to go to the house. And it's just like, and he just gets tripped up or something I, like I, that. I
0: still maintain that I've never seen someone accelerate like Kanay Nawangu can accelerate. Yeah. And that was, um, I don't know, it was maybe two. Well, it, was, it was his freshman year? The year he redshirted. 2015?
1: Well, he, he redshirted after he got hurt. He played in 16, oh, and then so got, 16 and then
0: redshirted 17. It would, so his first year, 16. Right. I remember him watching him take a handoff in, a, in the spring scrimmage or a spring practice. It was a spring practice. Spring, it was a scrimmage before the spring game. And he took a handoff and it was really well blocked. It was against like the twos or something. And he just put his foot in the ground and went full zero to 60. And I remember like genuinely being like, Damn. Like, like one of those things where you just can't, you see a Maserati on the street. Like you can't not be like, Whoa, just couldn't help myself, but be audibly amazed at how fast he gets from zero to how fast he wants to go. Cause that dude is pure explosion. And if he could just, if I just wish that if the, he spends this whole off season working on his hands, what you could do with him at slot. What you could do with him at the Deshante Jones position where you run him underneath on, you know, something. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where Deshante got most of his plays. is like catch, catching the ball at four yards. Just get the ball to Kanae. Just be like, hey, just go be really fast. Yeah. All right? Good job, buddy. Go be really fast. Right. If he could just work on his hands a little bit, then that's a stupid weapon for taking something down the field.
1: Well, and that's why when, when he catches those kick returns, it takes just the tiniest seam. And you can see it. And then, I mean, you can see it every time where when he catches a ball and he starts taking steps, you're like, oh yeah, okay. This, this could get, it's, he's like a hold your breath type of guy. Like mm-hmm. legitimately, every time you t- he touches the ball on the kicker turn, you think like, okay, he's might be about to house this.
0: Yeah. And that's, Iowa State hasn't had that in. Very long time. Yeah.
1: And he's done it one time. That's the crazy thing. Well, it's he's like taken, we've seen it once, but we all he's know. He's housed it once, but he's yeah. taken it past the 40. Yeah. How so many, many times. times? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that like, just, I mean, generally the, like uh, housing a kickoff usually means somebody did something wrong. Yeah. Like, cause if you even just do it, mostly okay, then you can force somebody to the sideline. And then happen, like a lot of times you'll see, you know, Kane take it back to the 42 yard line? And then there's just like two or three guys that are just like forcing him out of bounds because you have like safety valves that are supposed to do that. So unless someone monumentally screws up, usually you're not going to get a kick return for a touchdown, but when like, so he, even though he may not, again, he may not take it all the way back to the end zone, but he's taking the ball to the 45 yard line because if, if you're just okay against Kane, he's going to he's going to return it to midfield and it's sort of like the, I don't know the, the, and one in basketball that you sink the free throw, but your backcourt's lazy. And then they just take the inbound and just, yeah, you know, cherry pick one and then dunk one on the other side. And you're like, Oh, well that was fun. Momentum for the four seconds that it lasted. Yeah. That you score this touchdown or kick this field goal and the ball's right back at the 50. It's like the ultimate momentum
1: killer for the other team. Right. Last thing. Uh, Joe Burrow wins the Heisman Trophy on Saturday night. I told you on last week's episode that Joe was going to break multiple records in his in his victory. Uh, Joe ends up breaking the record for most possible points uh, received. I thought people would... Highest percentage of first place votes perce- received. I thought people Highest would... Highest percentage of ballots. I thought people would have voted for Jalen
0: Hurts as just like a, you know, as a... Because he was really... He was the entire Oklahoma offense. I thought they'd just do that, but... I'm not surprised. You're right. I'll eat a little crow, but still like, what was the one that you sent me Saturday night? That Oh, the one three people put Joe Burrow third. Yeah. In their ballot. Yeah. What the hell? Three people, put Joe Burrow third. I don't know. I don't think we're privy to see like who voted for whom unless they release who voted for whom. Yeah. Who the hell are you going to put over Joe Burrow two people? So three people three humans, three yeah, writers. I'd
1: love to hear that justification. Like it's, it's cool. Like if it's one, yeah. You know? yeah like if you want to put Joe second. That's yeah, fine. Like that's yeah.
0: that. I think he had like a hundred and or no, it was, it was like 40 something second place votes and three third place votes. And like, again, if you put him second place and you're like, you're, you know, a guy that just loves watching chase young and you give chase young a first place vote and you put Joe Burrow second. Cool. Like I don't agree with you, but I, I can see your point. You put two people in front of, in front of Joe Burrow. No, come on. Like those people, like, I feel like the Heisman committee is going to be like, all right, well, Mark, uh, and, uh, it looks like you put Joe third. Um, I'm sorry, but we're not renewing next year. your are right to vote. Um, you're too dumb. <laughs> I and mean, I'd really like to, but our hands are tied. Mm-hmm. You really just look like a total jackass. Um, thank you. Thank you for your vote. Um, Tell uh, Ohio State hi for us.
1: Well, and the other one that that I thought was really funny was that someone still put Tua Tagovailoa number one. And I I know Tua is a very good player, and and it, it really stinks that Tua got hurt the way that he did. But how anyone can sit there and do the mental gymnastics in their mind to think that he still should have won the Heisman Trophy and then still put that on their ballot and send it in I, it doesn't make sense to me. What I think, I
0: wonder if they just turned it in. I don't know when it's like, it- right. Like they turned it in had, after had, the second game. He had what, like two games. He got hurt with like two games left. Right. Yeah. So it was yeah. maybe three games left or whatever. And so like they turned it in in like the middle of October being like, all right, well two of first burrow, second, uh, chase young third. And like, that's just like, all right, all right fine. It's not going to change that much from there. And then he gets hurt and it's like, can, can I get that back? Like, am I allowed to revote? Can I unvote? I don't know when there's like a, I don't know what the logistics of the, of the voting time is, but that's maybe, I, that's the only way that I can maybe justify if someone just, or someone just accidentally hits send, like they just have a window open on their computer and they're like, man, I, I just, I really, I just like, I like having having something in here because if something gets busy and I don't, you know, it automatically submits
1: it. The bad thing is I think that the voting opened like last week, like, or like right after the championship games. Well, I was trying to give him an out. Yeah. No, I don't think there is an out. Do you think that guy lives in Birmingham? I don't know where that guy probably lives, but or Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa. yeah. I mean, I again, there's no way that anyone could justify that to me. It was crazy just to see the. I mean, Joe got so many votes that the people like even that were like six through ten were so irrelevant to entire the entire scenario. You know, like even Chuba Hubbard, like at, at fifth, was like. Or, whoever, or, or Jonathan Taylor, whoever it was. They were so far behind that mm-hmm. it is like when people were mad that, oh, Jonathan Taylor didn't get invited to the Heisman ceremony. Well, yeah, because he was like a thousand points behind fourth place or whatever. It's like there's there was clearly four. And I think even Justin Fields and like some of the other guys that were there, like they weren't even remotely close to yeah. what to what Burrow had.
0: I think uh, Dobbins, I would have given my vote to Dobbins instead of Fields. Personally, but I'm also biased towards running backs. If yeah. I'm going to vote for
1: an Ohio State offensive player, I would much rather give a I would give it to Dabbins Brandon, uh, intern Brandon, you voted for Tua for Heisman, didn't you? The one person, the
2: one person in America Bra- who did is
1: intern Brandon. Somehow finagled
0: a Heisman vote, like he bought it for like seven hundred dollars off some writer in Chesapeake, Virginia. Yeah, and. It was like, all right. I'm going to turn this in. I'm going to get Tua. I'm going to be, I'm going to make my name. I'm going to make up for these bold predictions by voting Tua first. I'm going to put Joe Burrow third and the second place vote, Charlie
1: Kolar. (laughs) I'm glad to see you're wearing pants today, Brandon. Pants in the office. That's that's good. Wearing pants at all. Yeah. Uh, All right, buddy. I'll see you down in Florida. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll have some fun by the pool. Make a nice Florida fart. We'll, we'll drink a, a fruity drink by the pool with, a, with an umbrella in it while we're doing a fart. <laughs> I think just the expression, doing a
0: fart, to me sounds hysterical. So right. we're going we're gonna to do a fart. Thanks, everybody, for
1: listening. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace.